going away like I have done recently has done, as always, one thing for me, and that is always elevate my vision. Always lift me up above the little nitty-gritty that goes on in a church with a church pastor. I see firsthand what God is doing around the world in a way that I could not imagine just sitting here in my little corner. One of the most exciting part of the trip was being in three cities in Indonesia. One of those cities, Surabaya, where it's heavily Islamic populated area. One pastor, and I'm going to talk about the Indonesian revival a little bit in the body of my sermon, of how God can do magnificent things in the midst of pain and agony. This man, Alex is his first name, that's all you need to know. The last name is too complicated even for me to pronounce. He came and picked us up at 5 o'clock in the morning. 5 o'clock in the morning, you heard me right. Because he has been praying all night with his congregation for God to answer prayer about the new building. Currently, they have six services on Sunday, and their church seats 3,500 people. Now, that's not in the West. That's not even in Korea. That is in an Islamic area with so much opposition. And God is doing something so magnificent in the lives of so many people. As we stood in that early morning dawn on the ground where he is building, by the grace of God and the power of God, 18,000-seat auditorium. The Islamic government of Indonesia said, please, don't call it a church. Just call it an auditorium. Call it a convention hall. Don't call it a church. We're having enough problem with Islamic extremists. And we stood there with literally goosebumps and tears in our eyes for the vision and the excitement and the faith of this one man. And he's one of many. I could take a long time to tell you about so many of the things that God is doing around the world. It reinforced that what really hinders gospel ministry is my own lack of faith and lack of vision. It is that ability that I want to challenge you about to develop the 50-20 vision. And I hope that as we have been looking into the life of Joseph, I hope and pray that you have been able to see and comprehend how the sovereign hand of God has worked in the life of Joseph. And that through that, that the sovereign hand of God is working in every life that is represented in front of me today. That is what I call the 50-20 vision. Seeing and perceiving events in your life from God's perspective, not your own, not my own, is what we have seen in the life of Joseph. Even in the times when it seemed that the wicked had the upper hand, God was working His purposes out. Even in the times when it seemed that injustice seemed to be rolling like the wave of the ocean, God's hand was working His purposes out. Even in the times when lies and deceptions have been received and accepted as the truth, God was working His purposes out. Even in the times when evil appeared to have triumphed over good, God was working His purposes out. I want you to reflect with me just for a moment. You know, when we bomb out, we often spend a lot of time saying, what if? You know the what if story? (laughs) What if? I don't know about you, but somehow when things are going right and going well... When God fulfills my dreams, somehow I don't take time to think about what if. And that's what I want you to think about, what if in reverse. 
not in the darkness of the tunnel in your life, but in the sunshine of your plains. What if Joseph had gotten away from the Ishmaelites who were cutting him down to Egypt? What if somehow at nighttime when they were asleep, he was able to get loose and run back and get home? What if? Well, his daddy would have been excited and delighted. His brothers would have resented him even more. And the situation would kind of gone along its old ways. Think of Joseph's dreams. Think of the cupbearer's dreams. Think of, above all, Pharaoh's dreams. What if? What if Joseph somehow made his way back home? What would have happened? Famine would have struck. The Canaanites and the Egyptians both would have died of starvation. Joseph's family would have died, would have disappeared from the face of the earth. But that's not all. Egyptian civilization by that time has been a 2,000 years of civilization. That 2,000, they would have set civilization back 2,000 years ago. And I hate to tell you, there's a likelihood that I wouldn't be here. But that's not all. The Israelite nation would not have existed. But that's not all. The prophets and the writers of the Old Testament would not have existed. But that's not all. The Messiah would not have been born. And you and I would not have known salvation. What if? What if? Yet, if you and I were Joseph, when we really are honest with ourselves, we would have been one to run away the first year, the second year, the third year, and said, how long? How long? We've got to be able to get out of this. And we try to get out of it one way or the other. And we work our way up. And we run away from the will of God in our lives. And that is why I want to challenge you today to begin to think of the 50-20 vision. What is the 50-20 vision? Well, turn in your Bibles, please, if you have them with you, to Genesis 50, verse 20. As for you, you meant evil against me, but God meant it for good to bring it about that many people should be kept alive as they are today. That is the 50-20 vision. I wonder how many of us can truly say, in the midst of difficulty, I know, not I feel, I know, not because I have evidence, I know that in all things, God works together for good because I love Him. Because I am called according to His purpose. Because I know I'm in the very center of His will. Watch how the hand of God was working in the life of Joseph. As I bring this series to a conclusion, just reflect for a few seconds. Just think. Here's a young man with dreams, finds himself in the pit, and then in slavery. Of all the foreign lands that he could have been sold to, he was sold, ended up in, in Egypt. The only nation at this time, and it's from the Scriptures, not I'm making it up, the only nation at that time that would not intermingle with foreigners because civilized Egyptians did not like to marry hairy Hebrews. You know, there's, there's something crazy about Egyptians and shaving. You see it in the pharaonic history. Because of that, God would keep the race from being diluted. God keeps His people in a large number without intermarriage or without disappearing into the walls of Egypt. So he ends up in the house of the king's captain of the guard. There he becomes 
Joseph becomes thoroughly Egyptianized. Why? Because God was making plans that he's going to be within one step of Pharaoh. So he was preparing the ground. Then he gets falsely accused, and he gets arrested, and he gets thrown into the royal prison. And there he meets Pharaoh's chief of staff, and he interprets a dream for him. But the ungrateful chief of staff goes back to the palace, and for two years he forgets all about Joseph, except in God's timing. When the time was right, God reminded him of it. You see, those 13 years, nobody can call good. Nobody can call those wonderful years. They were troubled years. They were tragic years. Those 13 years were years of suffering. They were years of darkness in the life of Joseph. They were the years that were filled with injustice, with failure, and with hate. They were not good years. Most of us would have said, it's all over for Joseph. The first year, after the second year, or the fifth year, or by the tenth year, he said, no, it's all over. It's a decade that passed. How in the world this man can ever mount to anything? Can any good come out of this failure? Can anything come out of this grief? Can anything come out of this misery? And I'm sure you probably asked yourself when you found yourself in similar situation, can any good come out of my pain? Can any good come out of my suffering? Can any good come out of my grief? Can any good come out of my distortion? You know... The optometrists tell us that it is 2020 vision, the best vision. But what God is telling us here, that it is the 5020 vision that is the best. Because Joseph combined sight with foresight and hindsight, and he ended up with that 5020 vision. Is that your vision? Can you say in the midst of your pain that it was meant for evil? They meant it for evil. He meant it for evil. She meant it for evil. Even my flesh has intended it for evil. Can you see the hand of God working in your life? Even when your hope seemed to be covered by a dark cloud, even when your pillow is stained with tears, can you see the hand of God when your loneliness is crushing your bone into despair? Can you see the hand of God when your hurt becomes so unbearable? Can you see the hand of God when the pit in which you're sitting appears to be inescapable? Can you see when your future seemed to have come to an end? Can you see the hand of God when fear grips your mind so hard? Can you see the hand of God when worry seemed to make you physically ill? Can you see the hand of God? Can you truly say that others have meant it for evil, but God has meant it for good? Can you say that in all things, I know even in the worst of things in my life, in all things, God can work them together for good because I do love Him, because He's my number one in my life. Can you say that I can do all things through the Christ who continuously strengthens me? Can you say, I know whom I have believed, and I know that He is able to keep that which I have committed, and to Him against that day. Can you say, nothing shall separate me from the love of God? Not tribulation, not distress, not persecution, not famine, not peril, not sword, not in all of these things. We more than conquerors through Him who loves us. I want to remind you that when Paul was writing these words, he was not sitting on the French Riviera. He was being hunted as a wild animal. 
For I am sure, says the Apostle Paul, that neither death, nor life, nor angels, nor principalities, nor things present, nor things to come, nor power, nor height, nor depth, nor anything else in all of creation will ever be able to separate me from the love of God in Christ Jesus, my Lord. Can you see the hand of God? Back in 1915, the Mexican boll weevil invaded the southeast section of Alabama and destroyed more than 60% of their cotton crop. They were literally living on cotton. That's all their mainstay. And in utter desperation and in almost total loss of hope, they began to experiment with other things. Finally, they tried to plant peanuts. And the new crop brought great wives of unexpected prosperity. In 1917, they had the largest peanut crops of anywhere in the country, probably anywhere in the world. So on December 11, 1919, in the city of Enterprise, Alabama, they erected a monument to the boll weevil. (laughs) (laughs) And here are the words inscription that is written below. In profound appreciation for the boll weevil and what it has done as a herald of prosperity. What began as a pestilence can end up as praise. What begins as thorough tragedy can end up being a great blessing. The 50-20 vision will find that the tears of history will turn into laughter. Do you have that vision? You know, we don't understand why God does things the way He does them. You can read 2,000 books and all the stuff about, you know, what happened and why God does this and, and why, where is God when things are tough and all the stuff. You can do all that. That's fine. But I want to tell you the bottom line. <laughs> and the bottom line is this. God is God and man is man. And just because God privileges us, just because God elevates us, just because God saves us, just because God gives us eternal life, just because God befriends us, it doesn't qualify us to tell Him what to do, how to do it, and when to do it. Paul said, we don't understand because we see things through glass darkly. I can tell you that we are not mentally equipped to know what God knows. We're not mentally equipped. One day we will. If God lets us see the future, I want to tell you, our minds will snap from the horror and the anguish that we will live through in the years to come. We are not emotionally strong enough to know the future. We can't even cope with the present, let alone the future. I tell you, my sense of humor is so simple that my favorite cartoon character is Brother Charlie Brown. Brother Charlie Brown was in a conversation, and Lana said, well... I guess it is wrong always to be worried about tomorrow. Maybe we should just think about today. And Charlie Brown, true to his reputation as a certified worry wart, he said, No, I refuse to give up. I'm still hoping that yesterday would get better. (laughs) You know, if there's one prayer that I have, when somebody is going through a tough time in their life, it is this, Lord God, develop the 50-20 vision in us. Lord God, elevate us just a little bit to see partially the big picture. Oh God, give us the ability to be able to see things from your perspective and not from the narrow perspective in which we're seeing it right now. Hear me right. At the darkest moment in your life, you need to see that God is always in charge. He never loses control of the situation, regardless of what it is. 
He is always working behind the scene, carrying out His plan, carrying out His purpose, fulfilling His ultimate will, using people that you never thought to have the slightest idea that He could even use. I don't know about you, but it's absolutely mind-boggling to me. I just got a, a simple mind, and it is mind-boggling when I read in Isaiah 44, 28, when God said of King Cyrus, the pagan king, and he said, My shepherd, who will accomplish all I please? Now, that, that, that boggles my mind. When I read Jeremiah 25, 9, where he talks about King Nebuchadnezzar of Babylon, the pagan king, and he calls him my servant, Nebuchadnezzar. Now, I sometimes want to read that Bible again. I said, Lord, do you really mean that? My servant. God accomplishes His purposes even if pagan kings do not acknowledge Him. I began by telling you how God is using some of Christian leaders in Indonesia in, in this revival that has been continuing, began in the 60s and the 70s, and it seemed to be continuing. There is, has been the greatest revival of God's Holy Spirit like we've never seen in this century anywhere in the world. How did it happen? It was through horrible circumstances. It was through tragic, and tragic beyond even our expectation or even imagination. And yet through that, God brought millions and millions of people to embrace the Christian faith and the Lord Jesus Christ in a magnificent way. Very briefly, what happened between 20 years, between 1945 and 1965, President Sukarno, who was the champion of independence, declared independence from the Dutch. And what he did, he was not a communist himself, but he was chummy with the communists, particularly the Chinese communists. It was very chummy. So communism grew in Indonesia. And within a matter of 20 years, there were 3 million members of the Communist Party. With the secret agreement with China, the communists in Indonesia, they were going to stage a coup in 1967 and take over Indonesia. But things looked so good and things were going so well in their way, they decided to bring everything forward and stage the coup in 1965. And in October of 1965, the communists launched a coup to take over the country. They took over the presidential palace, and then they took over all the radio installation, and they killed six of the top generals, except for one man, one general. Guess where he was? He was in the hospital visiting his sick daughter. From the hospital, he was able to rally the troops, foil the communists, and crush the coup. I want to tell you, just think about this for a moment. Talk about what if. Here's a what if. If the communists had taken control of Indonesia, the fifth largest nation in the world, in unity with the largest nation of the world, China, and there the string of islands of Indonesia stretches 3,000 miles east and west, had they come together, most of Asia would have gone into communism, most likely be Australia and New Zealand as well. And that whole part of the world, half of the world, would have been covered in a communist bloodbath. You don't trust the hand of God. <laughs> but that's not where it ends. People became so angry that they turned against the communists, and in such rampage and in such savagery, they killed 400,000 people in two months. You say, what possible good can come out of this horrible, beyond imagination scene? You would say, well, if Indonesians... Well, they're being Muslims, they were just turned back to Islam and everything is fine, but it's not so. 
the population saw that the communists themselves were Muslims. And those who are fighting them are also, slaughtered them, are also Muslims. The Christians, meanwhile, stayed out of the fray and began, stayed out of that mess and began to preach the gospel of Jesus Christ. They're preaching the gospel of peace, preaching the gospel of love, preaching the gospel of forgiveness. And because of the people's disillusion, masses of people became Christians by the tens and thousands of them. How did it happen? You know, the Muslim military officer, when they took over power, they became the new rulers of the country. In their desire to change the attitude from hatred to love, from revenge to forgiveness, they actually ordered the printing of tens of thousands of gospel literature. And when President Sukarno was in power between 45 and 65, he literally forced the nation to go from 5% literacy to 55%. In fact, those who were under 35 years of age had about 90% literacy rate. So they were able to read the literature that was distributed to them. God is in control. And when they read the literature, they were introduced to Jesus Christ, God is on the throne. Man may try. They meant it for evil. He turned this bad and horrible tragic situation into the greatest Christian revival known of our century. One of the men we met, I mentioned earlier, is building this church. He's just one of many of what's going on in that great land. Well, you're probably thinking in your mind and said, well, you know, this is just nice for Indonesia. It's nice for India. It's nice for overseas. What about me? I am worried about my problem right now. I'm worrying about my situation right now. What about this? What about... I want to tell you something. That same big picture that I just drew for you is working in your life and in my life every single day. If you take time to reflect on it. If you develop the 50-20 vision, you'll be able to see the hand of God that is working in your life and your family life every second of every day, of every month, of every year. In the 50-20 vision, God turns the wiles of men into the will of God. In the 50-20 vision, God turns the scheming of man into the serving of God's purpose. In the 50-20 vision, God turns the satanic plot into His perfect purpose. In the 50-20 vision, God turns the evil and the bad and the ugly into the magnificent and the good. The Scripture tells us, again and again, it's repeated, like it or not, God is calling the shots. He's running the show. Even when suffering in your life is a result of your foolish choices and my foolish choices, God can take even those and He turns them around and bring good out of them when we repent. He's either in full control or He's not on the throne at all. What He's asking of us is our perfect love. What he's asking of us is our perfect surrender. What he's asking of us is our perfect submission. And he will show us in his good time how the 50-20 vision works. You know what the problem is with most of us, I dare say all of us, is that we never let God do it. We are anxious to take it back. We hand it to him in the morning, and by 12 noon, we got it all back on our desk. Give it to him in the morning when nobody's watching. You get back into the fray of things, and it's all back with you. I read an incredible poem just this week as I was 
looking through some material, and I came across this, and I said, what a magnificent way of describing some of us. (laughs) Here's how it goes. As children bring their broken toys with tears for us to mend, I brought my broken dreams to God because He was my friend. Then instead of leaving Him in peace to work alone, I hung around and tried to help with ways that were my own. At last, I snatched them and cried, How can you be so slow? My child, what could I do? You never did let go. There are no painful circumstances in your life that God cannot turn around and bring good out of it if you let Him. There are no broken dreams in your life that God cannot perfectly fix, cannot perfectly mend, if you let Him. There are no griefs or sin in your life that God cannot forgive, heal, and comfort, if you let Him. There are no mess that is so dreadful that God cannot clean up, clean out, if you and I will let Him. It is not surprising. As I looked in the life of this God's winner in the past few messages. It is not surprising for me when I turn to Hebrew chapter 11. And there is the list. Those who are mentioned is what we call the, the great faith hall of fame. Remember the passage, by faith Abraham, by faith Sarah, by faith Joseph. His fifty twenty vision included the daring faith to see the hand of God, to see the plan of God, to see the purpose of God being worked out, even in the most irrational circumstances of his life. Trusting in God. Joseph dared to believe that God could take the worst of his materials and produce a beautiful tapestry. You know what I grew up? I knew a janitor who had a business on the side, and I used to go around and hang around his business and watch what he does as a youngster. And most homes, when they take their old clothes, they don't toss them out or give them away. They shred them, basically about one inch long, and they roll them into a big ball, and they send it to this man. And you go there and you see it. This is Mr. So-and-so's material. This is Mrs. So-and-so material. He has them all labeled and marked. And he will take those long shreds of clothes, and he weave them into his weaving machine with such speed. And by the end of the day, all these colors, all these different kinds of material, all the shreds have been now beautiful, beautiful rugs. (laughs) That's what God does with the shreds that you give him and with the shreds that I give him, if you let him. He weaves them into a magnificent rug, trusting in God would make Joseph dare to project meaning in the midst of meaninglessness. It would make him project purpose in the midst of haphazardness. Now, you see, we don't gloss over pain. We don't gloss over evil just like the New Age people do. But we look at evil in the face and say, you have meant it for evil, but God turned it for good. If you can't see it, He is turning it for good. Not because I see it, not because I feel it, 
Because I know that in all things, God is working together right now for good. You've heard me often say that this moment after the Word of God has been preached is the most sacred moment. This is a holy moment. It is always a moment of decision, one way or the other, on anything. If you don't know the Lord Jesus, it's a moment of decision for you. Lord Jesus, I come to you. I surrender to you. I receive you as my Savior, my Lord. You have been living in worry, in fear. Say, Lord, I do want to develop the 50-20 vision. You have been wasting your life focusing on yourself and your self-pity and the problems. God is telling us in the words of the Lord Jesus, seek ye first the kingdom of God. You focus on me and I'll take care of these things. Lord, help me to develop the 50-20 vision. It's a decision between you and your heavenly Father. It is a commitment between you and your heavenly Father. The most fearful people are the people who have been most blessed. Somehow I found that's in my experience. And the more you're blessed, the more you're fearful. Somehow you're afraid of the future. Somehow you're afraid of this and afraid of that. God wants you to develop the 50-20 vision. In the stillness of this hour, our Heavenly Father, I come to you with my brothers and sisters in the Lord Jesus Christ, confessing that the world often grabs our attention, that the seeds of anxiety is always sown by the devil in our lives. We confess to you the inability and the difficulties of developing the 50-20 vision because we try to do it by ourselves. But Father, we know that only you can give us that. Thank you for answering our prayers, for I pray them in Jesus' name. Thanks for listening to this message from Dr. Michael Youssef, recently featured on Leading the Way. If you'd like to know more about us, please visit ltw.org. That's ltw.org.